So the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for a minute to just be still and to know that you are God and to bless you for uh, all that you have given to us and to take a moment to evaluate in this Lenten season our, our lives before you. I pray that you would make this time fruitful and a great blessing to us. In Jesus' name, amen. It would be a wonderful thing if you put your phone on Do Not Disturb. I remember a conversation that I had years ago now with my brother-in-law's father. My wife's sister's husband's father. He had just retired. He had been a... um, Postmaster at a, in a, just a little bitty town up in the very northern part of South Carolina. And he had retired. And I remember asking him, um, how was retirement going? Just, just making a conversation. And he said, you know, I don't know how I ever had time to work. And I thought that was crazy because I was in my 20s and I thought that uh, busyness was for just for people my age. And then he went on, you know, he actually, in his retirement, he started a business because he had, he was like to finish furniture, but now, so he starts a business to finish furniture and he puts it on a truck and he goes around and sells it. And then he's got grandkids and doctors and everything. So I thought the busy, I've just never forgotten it. And, and the, um, but the funny thing is, is I've heard it repeated now that I'm, you know, in that part of my life, I didn't spend as much time around retired people as I, I do now. And, um, and I've heard that phrase, same phrase or something very much like it many times. I don't know how I ever had time to work. It's meant in jest in some ways, I think. One thing I have written about or commented on in different sermons from time to time is uh, busy is the new fine. Busy is the new fine. Because you used to ask people, hey, how you doing? They say, oh, I'm fine. And now I, what, what, how do they respond? I'm busy. Oh, man, busy. Busy, busy, busy. I was waiting for somebody to ask me tonight how I was doing so I could just say, oh, man, I'm busy. Uh, And the truth is, I am busy. I am busy. The fact that we sold all 50 of the books that we ordered and many other people are buying them on Amazon or or listening to it on audiobooks or or still waiting here anyway, even though the book hadn't come yet, uh, indicates that perhaps you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and I want to say that this is not just your problem. Is this, I'm the sage on the stage, and I am here to teach you people about how to not be busy, because this is definitely my problem as well. I've read books and books on productivity. I think a lot about how I work, not just what I work on. Uh, I um, work hard on my schedule. I'm not super disciplined, so it's important to me to to work hard on my calendar and on my to-do list and things like that. Um, And yet, all those things, uh, I'm still busy. And sometimes I'm just too busy. And sometimes I wake up at 4.30 on Sunday morning to finish my sermon in my class busy. And, um, And what I find to be true is that the busier I get, the slower I work. The busier I get, the slower I work because I've got a million things that are just grabbing for my attention. 
Um, you know, I've, and, and they're, they're not bad things. Like, I mean, I, I, it's, I love my job and I you know, love what I do and, and that's great, but I also have kids and we've got sports and we've got, um, you know, now I've got one in college and I'm gonna figure out that, about that and Amy's busy and, and you know, like we just, and I've got a dog that needs a haircut and just all these things. That, um, that are just grabbing for attention. And then if you uh, have push notifications on your phone, you can forget it. Because if your phone buzzes every time you get an email, or a text, or a Facebook like, or a signal message, or a Slack message, or your YouTube subscription posts, posts a new video, or Candy Crush has an update, <laughs> then you're, you're distracted Something's grabbing your attention, almost like that. Um, before I figured out about do not disturb on my phone, which was an embarrassingly short time ago, even during church, my watch is just buzzing. It's just buzzing with, um, I'm in, I'm, like my workout group has this chat. I don't know, they, apparently those people don't work because they just are always, or go to church for that matter. Uh, so, um, uh, except for Josh Prestel. Um, and I would just suggest as an aside that push notifications would be a really good thing to give up for Lent. And it's not too late. Um, Psalm 46.10. Anybody? Be still and know that I am God. And I'll be honest, that sounds like a really nice thing to put on, a, to like cross stitch on a pillow. Um, but it does not sound like a command that I could possibly take seriously. And even when I think about the command, be still and know that I am God, I instinctively focus on know that I am God. Because I think I got faith down pretty well, right? I got that, and, um, or it's you know, faith or belief or, um, you know, I know that God is God and I know that I am not God, but I am quick to jump over be still. Maybe you are too. So just think, if you already know that God is God, how much more deeply could you experience that knowledge if you were routinely still? If you were routinely still. So we're going to spend time with this book in Lent. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I think I have been calling it the relentless elimination of hurry. And I guess you can be relentless or ruthless. Either one works. Um, but it's called the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer. I've been calling it quirky because the first two times through it, I listened to it. And he reads it. John Mark Comer reads it. And he's kind of quirky. Uh, he's like, he's young. He's 34 or 5 when he, uh, when he read it. I think he's 40 now uh, when he wrote it. And, um, and... And he's just kind of millennial and young. And so he just, he just talks in a way that I think is, is quirky. But when I read it, I read it in my own voice. And I'm not quirky. So, um, so it's a lot easier. Um, so I've, I've always heard, I've heard about this book. I've, I've, um, I've heard it. I've seen it quoted. I've never gotten around to reading it. Why is that? Too busy. Too busy. So tonight we're going to talk about the problem and the solution. The problem and the solution. It's the longest, I mean, some of you are like, no, you're not quite done yet. That's okay. It's an easy read. You can catch up. Um, so we're going to do that first. And then we're gonna, there's four spiritual practices that he talks about in the second half of the book. 
And so that is um, silence and solitude. That's the first one. We'll do that next week. And then Sabbath and simplicity and slowing. Silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, slowing. And I want to tell you that if you take this book seriously, it's going to mess with you. It's going to mess with you. Uh, It's going to offer you freedom, but it's going to offer you freedom at what will probably feel like a very high cost. And it might, you get, listen, you get to be the judge. This is not the Bible, right? So um, that also offers you freedom at a high cost, but that's it. Um, and we'll also mess with you. But um, this is, it, you know, it's written in, in a way that we can relate to and addresses a problem that we all know about. And so um, it's going to challenge everything, like how you spend time or waste time, uh, what you own, uh, how often you say yes, um, even what things are important to you. And you get to be the judge. And it's your life. So not me. I'm not the judge. Because I'm a fellow struggler uh, with you. Um, but all of everything, all those challenges, it does in an attempt to give you the space in your heart and mind to be attentive to God. To have peace uh, with God. Uh, to be in control of your life. Rather than having your life and the things in your life controlling you. And if you went through the How to Pray book, either with us or on your own, I think they fit very well together. Uh, better than I could have uh, planned on purpose, which I uh, didn't want to say that out loud. But um, So I just want to say, before we really get into it, uh, I want to say a couple of things. Uh, one, there's about 65 people in here tonight. In five weeks, I want there to be about 65 people in here. Because what happens with these things is it starts big, and then as it goes on, people drop off. Because you know why? They get busy. Or they think, you know, I got it down, or whatever. My Lenten discipline, I've already filled my Lenten discipline, so I've kind of blown it, so I'm just going to go eat cookies. Um, you know, so, so I want you to make a commitment to be here all five weeks. I mean, if you, if you travel for work or something, I get it. That's fine. We'll, we're recording it in uh, the audio, and you can listen to it. But I really want you to make this your discipline and walk all the way through it. Okay? That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing is that there is sort of a vibe in this book that Christianity equals living the Jesus life. Christianity equals living the Jesus life. And I don't want to say that that is wrong by any means, but what I, I t- you, and you all do, know my preaching and my teaching, I've just got a different preferred point of emphasis. And, um, and I would say that Christianity equals reconciliation with God through the um, sacrifice that he gave in his son, Jesus Christ. It, grace comes first. Living the Jesus life does not actually make you a Christian. It could, in fact, make you a Pharisee. But living the Jesus life is a fantastic response to the grace that he's given us. So if you get grace first in your heart and then live the Jesus life, you are in a good, good state. You're in a good state. 
That's what we want to do. We want to get grace first. So that's just—I just want to say that. Like, I don't want to get it out of whack. Like, oh, I thought I should have been—I should have been doing this all my life. Maybe you should have, but it's not what makes you. It's not what saves you. He's saved. What saves you? And then we get that. So if we're clear about grace, if we're not clear about grace, we should just not do this and talk about grace. So are we clear about those two things? You're going to be here. Turn to the person next to you and say, "I'll see you in five weeks." <laughs> now you're committed. Now you're committed. No, no, no. You don't get the next three weeks off. That's not what I meant. So we do not do the things, the living the Jesus life. We don't do these things um, to impress the grace giver or to get ourselves through the grace door. We do these things to get to know the grace giver better. And the question. That this book, this book has brought me to the question. I have Jesus and I've got my life. Which one fits into which one? Do I cut Jesus up and stick him in little bit by bit into wherever he might happen to fit in my life? Or does my life get shaped around Jesus? And to do the second, I mean, I know what the right answer is, but to do the second takes great intention. And it always has, even in the time of Jesus, but we have so many distractions. So, is Jesus worth shaping my, worth to me, shaping my life around? Well, that's the right answer. But what do I, what does my life say the answer is? Well, you don't need to answer for me. I, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing. So, but you know, you're right. It does say, my life does say I'm too busy. And so I want, uh, and, and perhaps someone else might think the same thing. So tonight, the problem and the solution. It might be a little like the uh, pork tenderloin that I ate just a little while ago. Like, I might have more on my plate than I can get done with in the time that I have to get done with. Um, those sounds funnier in my, in my head. Um, all right. So just some killer quotes. Just some killer quotes. So I'm going to read. i got five quotes. You probably don't like to be read to because you can read. But just to kind of frame us where we are. Page 20, about halfway down. It's a quote. Uh, he quotes Corey Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was uh, a woman who lived in, um, who was in a concentration camp because she helped, I think she's Dutch, and she helped um, uh, try to free Jews from the Nazis, and she was put in a concentration camp. She survived, and she was a wonderful Christian. Corrie Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. Let that marinate. On the next page, he's talking to his therapist, who he calls a Jesus-loving, uber-smart PhD. Um, and he's talking about sort of his, his dream for his church. And the therapist's response is, the number one problem you will face is time. And here's the quote. People are just too busy to live emotionally and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. 
People are too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. But here's the thing about that. If everyone around you is also too busy to live that, then you've never seen what it looks like. And so we have to learn together how to slow down. Now, I'm not saying yours isn't. I'm just saying that if, if everybody's like this, then theoretically, maybe there's more than we've ever even seen before. Um, flipping over a page to page 23, at the top, towards the top of the page, he says, hurry and love are incompatible. Hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments as a father, as a husband, and as a pastor, even as a human being, are when I'm in a hurry. I'm late for an appointment, behind on my unrealistic to-do list, trying to cram too much into my day. I ooze anger, tension, a critical nagging, the antithesis of love. If you don't believe me, the next time you're trying to get your type B wife and three young, easily distracted children out of the house, and you're running late, a subject on which I have a wealth of experience, just pay attention to how you relate to them. Does it look and feel like love? Or is it far more in the vein of agitation, anger, abiding comment, a rough glare? My wife is glaring at me. <laughs> Not glaring, she's lovingly raising her eyebrow. Hurry and love are oil and water. They simply do not mix. That was one of the most convicting paragraphs for me. Turning over one more page. Towards the bottom. With hurry, we always lose more than we gain. He quotes C.S. Lewis, as spiritual director. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. That sounds a little pie in the sky to me. If, I'm just, if I was just taking it out of context. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Meaning... Very little can be done with hurry that can't be done better without it. Especially our lives with God. And even our work for God. Very little can be done with hurry that can't be done better without it. That is, whew, that hits me. Alright, the last one I'm going to read is on that same page. It's page 26. Uh, Ronald Rollheiser, who he says is his favorite Catholic writer of all time, who I've never heard of. Um, he says, Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. This is, and this is the kicker, because we often think this, the lack of faith is, is really a lack of belief or intention or uh, it's evil or you know, people are just... And there is some of that for sure, but this is what he says. It's not that we have anything against God or against depth and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we're habitually 
too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar, radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Reflect back to me for just a minute. Tell me what you've heard in this. Is it resonating? You buy it? You don't buy it? Tell me how you're feeling. Yeah, Josh. I think that the last quote that you read, you know, I've been a lot of similar kind of things lately. You talk about bones and everything. We've, our brains were concentrating to consume these little teeny 140 character less bite-sized pieces of information for 30 seconds, you know, clips of video, and you know, he's talking about the movie theater, the sports stadium, and like, people, I have trouble sometimes even focusing on a two-hour, three-hour movie. You know, it's too big a piece of information just because we take things in such small bites, sitting down to actually read a book that's macro-format information rather than these micro-courses of information, because our brains aren't trained for that anymore. Right, and we... That our yeah, the death piece. Our brains can relearn them, yeah, absolutely. but but they um, but it takes it takes detox for yeah, sure. It's habit it's habitually distracted. Yeah, that's right. Who else would like to reflect? Yeah, Kay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the screen time today is something like the average the average person. What did, what is it? Twenty hours of TV a week or something like that. I mean, it was just it's two twenty five hundred. Yeah, that's just t- oh yeah the, the screen time the phone. But I need that for work. So. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, so like we're not even talking about yet just being distracted from God, but just being able to focus at work or at home. I mean, you, well, let's just take we're, the fact that we're distracted by God. Distracted from God is a given, right? Uh, we just don't have attention spans. Uh, I remember, I mean, several times this uh, watching the football game, watching the football game that I was so excited about, the uh, Jaguars playing, I mean, early in the season. And then... Um, <laughs> And just but just picking up my phone and looking at it instead of watching the game. Um, the other day, I was talking to somebody, and I honestly I don't remember who it was. It might have been Amy, and I just um, and I just picked up my phone because I got a text and looked at it right in the middle of a conversation. Like and I didn't mean to be rude, but I just it was just a habit. Were you allowing interruptions? I was allowing that interruption. Yes, I would, it, yes, you're right. I allowed it. I wasn't, I didn't take it captive. Yes, Jamie. Um, I can't remember which piece of, which book I read it in, but Buddhist uh, moms, they spend eight hours in prayer, eight hours sleeping, and then eight hours working. And then just at the gym, they said, you know, an hour of workout a day is only 4% of your day. Think about that. 4%. One hour. One hour is 4% of your day. 4% of your right? Day. I mean, I, 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 that's right. I mean, you can say, well, I, I only spend an hour on my screen. It's just 4% of my day. But, I, you know, like that, it certainly adds up. That does. Yeah, reallocate. Okay, this is not guilt. This is not like you get to be the boss. 
right? You could be the boss. We're just identifying the problem with uh, John Mark Comer. So distraction. I remember reading um, that. When I say reading, I mean listening to the book about Alexander Hamilton, um, the big one that they made the playoff of. Uh, and he spoke before the Continental Congress, and I think his big speech before the Continental Congress was five hours long. Or it might have been eight. It was either five or eight hours long. And it was hailed as a master speech. If I gave a sermon for five hours, <laughs> it would not be hailed as a master. That's right. You, yeah, by about the 35th minute. I mean, like we, uh, but not only could I not construct it, because I don't have the attention span, but you couldn't listen to it. Um, your seat couldn't take it. But... Um, but they could sit still and listen to it and process it because they didn't have any of the stuff that we've got. Um, all of the letters of Paul were intended to be read out loud. And what you and I spend our lives studying, they were expected to listen to and process and respond to. Because they could hear it and process it and understand it. Um, sometimes I have, a trouble, I have trouble reading a paragraph and have to go back through it several times. Uh, with that, just because my mind wanders. Anybody you, you caught yourself reading maybe the Bible or just a book, and you're you're seeing the words, and you're going at the same pace, but you're just thinking about something completely different. Yeah. Good. I'm glad it's not just me. Yeah. You and me. Well, I'm in good company, Barry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, and I agree. Don't don't hear me condemning having the TV on while you're cooking dinner, but but to have to say what that trains our brain for is a lack of depth. It, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's good to have white noise in the background and stuff like that. I'm not. I'm not saying that's wrong. You, you know you best. But I am saying that sometimes our brains don't go as deep as they could. And that, that, what that does is it affects our spiritual life. Last thing. You said you listen to audiobooks. Yep. Where do you listen to audiobooks? In the car. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that right now. In the car. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> so what's the difference between... Alexander Hamilton's guys and us. Dopamine. It's dopamine. It's the chemical in our brain that is released. It's the pleasure chemical. And if we get a little hit when we see a screen or whatever, when we get our attention goes to something new and it catches our, our eye and it's shiny. And, and, um, and when we get um, a like on Facebook, we're like, oh, that's great. And we get a bunch of those, and we think, when we hear our phone buzz, it's just like a, it's a siren call for dopamine. And like my kids, they don't, their brains are forming with, with it. And they're actually really good at it, um, at being sort of, at being distracted and focused at the same time. But that's, it's a little bit scary. Dopamine's the difference, because our brains love tele- television. Uh, our brains didn't have television, and then we got television and we loved it, and then it was broken up increasingly by commercials, so the amount of time that you had to watch went from like 30 minutes down to, you know, two 15 minutes, and then like, you know, in little breaks, and if you watch cartoons now for kids, it is like, 
like that, and then like that, and like that, because it's just, it's just keeping their attention. And then we had computers, uh, and it had the World Wide Web, and that became this, its own thing. And then we got smartphones and the ty- entire world in your pocket, and then the push notifications. So our brain's pleasure chemical, dopamine, is released, and our brains are hooked on it. Um, and so without even thinking about it in a conversation or a meeting, you look at uh, um, a phone or a text. Um, or were you going to return a text right in the middle of a conversation? Or in a, I have done that. Or in a meeting. And sometimes it's because it's an important person. But are they more important than the person I'm talking to? Much more than I'd like to admit. How hard is it for you to get into a flow state? By that I mean a a concentrated state of deep work where you are focused, you are dialed in on a task. And I would say that the younger you are, the harder it is because of the dopamine and the distraction. Not that we can't learn, but it it takes great intention. And again, I am not... I'm just, I'm just diagnosing. No judgment. There, uh, there's a really interesting little paragraph on page 39 where he reminds us that uh, your phone doesn't work for you. You work for it. You're the product. And I think that, I mean, let me just read that because it is... Yes. yes. Page 39. Reminder, your phone doesn't actually work for you. You pay for it, yes. They should just give it to us, right? You pay for it, but it works for a multi-billion dollar corporation in California, not for you. You're not the customer, you're the product. It's your attention that's for sale, along with your peace of mind. He talks in the book about what he calls hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. Maybe it's a diagnosable thing, or maybe it's just describable. But he lists 10 symptoms, and they're on page 48 to 50. You can look at it or not. But see if you identify. I mean, when you read it, if you've read it, did you identify with any of these? Irritability, especially with loved ones. Hypersensitivity, which is to say major reaction to minor hurdles. I'm getting the eyebrow again. I'm not looking. Restlessness. Oh, you're agreeing with me. Yes, I know. In what way you're agreeing with me. Restlessness. When I, even when I relax, I can't relax. Workaholism or nonstop activity. Gotta keep going. Emotional numbness. Particularly not that you don't feel because you can, you're hypersensitive, you have crazy feelings, but um, that you don't feel empathy. We're in too much of a rush to think about others. Uh, Out-of-order priorities, which is to say we are reactive, not proactive, uh, sort of tyranny of the urgent. Lack of care for your body. Sleep, exercise, eating the fastest, most available thing rather than the healthiest long-term thing. Escapist behaviors. It could be porn or it could be Candy Crush. It could be Netflix, it could be narcotics escapist behaviors, things that just get me out of here for a little bit. Slippage of spiritual disciplines. Interesting. 
The life-giving activities are the first to go when we're in a rush, which makes us too tired to do the life-giving things. And it becomes a cycle. And the last one he mentions is isolation. Disconnected from God and others. And there are buku studies to talk about how isolated we're the most connected and least connected generation ever. Again, no guilt. Because this is all of us. None of us did better than five on any of that, probably. Hurry kills relationships. Love, uh, because love takes time that none of us have. Hurry, he says on page 53, hurry kills all that we hold dear. Spirituality, health, marriage, family, thoughtful work, creativity, generosity, name your value. Hurry is a sociopathic predator loose in our society. Worship and joy start with the capacity to turn our attention to God, but if we don't have the capacity for attention, we can't have worship and joy. So what do we do? So what do we do? Alright, so now we're going to go to the solution. Obviously we're talking the next four weeks about the solution. Anything to say about the problem? Anything further to say? Amy? Not about me personally, but just, yeah. yeah. I'm just agreeing. Okay, good. Thank you. Yes. Um, but I thought it was interesting the way you said on that part that the things, you know, that oftentimes our spiritual disciplines, you know, of praying and being in scripture are the, the that should be our go tos are the first two go. Mm-hmm. Which that is uh, first to go instead of our first go to. That's right. Yeah, Caroline. I think you know, we talk about the distractions of the public and that taking a lot of our attention, but I think one thing that I struggle with is quieting my mind because I, while I may not be looking at my phone or not physically doing something, I'm running through my head all the thousand things I've got to either get done or I'm worried about or, you know, and just being able to quiet mm-hmm. that so that I can be intentionally yeah. somewhere else. Yeah, that's, that's stress. Like when you get to bed, get, get to sleep easy because you're just exhausted and then you can't stay asleep because your mind's just going nuts. That's what that is. That's what we all, and we all know it. So, he makes a really important point at the very beginning. The solution is not more time. I can remember, um, I think I was in college when I was, I said, I think God did everything right, but except in my own hours in a day. And I said, why did I say that? Because I didn't have enough time to do the things that I wanted to do. Probably, and go play Frisbee with my friends and hang out with Amy. But, um, in addition to my score. But I can always remember saying that. But the truth is, God did it perfectly. And if it's out of whack, it's not His fault. <laughs> it's our fault. Because we just fill it. If we had more time, we would just fill it up. And the, biggest, the issue is not that we have too much to do. The issue is a heart issue. And ultimately, I think it was Blaise Pascal that said we all have a God-shaped hole in our heart. And we fill that hole with things. And so it's busyness. Like you... Just like every other person in the world, you've got 24 hours a day and your body needs seven to nine of those hours to be asleep. Anybody average eight hours of sleep? Some, yeah, fantastic. A very, a very small percentage. 
I bet I don't. I would say I probably average six and a half to seven. So I love what he says. As the first real point in this solution, you have to accept your limitations. You can't do it all. So crazy. I, I, I get it. The thing where you, you, if you read uh, where he says there's a new kind of anxiety about entertainment anxiety, like that, that, oh no, there's another show I'm not watching that I can't be cool. Like that's, that's another 25 hours of my life that I've got to give away. Like, you know, it's just hilarious because I can't, I want to watch it. Like, um, but you can't. Your life is not going to be better if you know how Yellowstone ends. It's not. It's not. Your life is not. Be, I'm about to go to meddling. Your life is not be better if you know how uh, Game of Thrones begins. Uh, just, just for that. This is probably too late for that for most of us. Um, because the whole thing is, what do we, what do we fill in our mind with? So you can't do it all. This is the opposite of modern wisdom. Because I mean, you probably told your kids you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you set your mind to. No, you can't. <laughs> Some kids aren't math kids. You know, that's, that's, just, that's just the way God made them. And I don't think it's, I love really what he says, that the will of God for your life is found in your limitations. Some people have amazing memories, and they're just going to be better at whatever that makes them good at than I'm going to be. You know, I, was, I, couldn't have been a, I couldn't have been a high school basketball player if I'd set my mind to it. You know, much less a pro basketball player. I, that was my limitation. I was a pretty good pulling guard until I hurt my knee. That was another limita- limitation. Um, I don't care if my accountant can preach and that I, my accountant doesn't care if I can count, right? We want, we want each other to do the things we're good at. Um, it... We also, so we accept that we have limitations. We also accept that we probably are wasting a ton of time. And that's part of just the busyness. Um, it, you know, I, want to just, I want you to evaluate for yourself. Because I'll, I will sit on the couch at night and watch a TV show, let me tell you. But it might not feel like wasting time to watch a couple of episodes of TV after a long day to veg out with a glass of wine. It might feel actually like it's mental health. We're doing this. It's my me time. My question, the question that I'm asking myself about these things is, is it getting me to the place I want to be? Is that the way I need to be spending that time? Maybe the answer is yes. I'm not here to say it's not. It might not feel like a waste of time to work 70 hours a week because I'm earning good money. But is it getting me to where I want to be with Jesus? Or my marriage? Or my kids? Or myself? Most people are too distracted to stop and ask those questions. So I'm so glad that you have given up this hour to be here tonight. My favorite part of this, and the thing that really began to click with me for this book, was the easy yoke. And I just thought it was so profound. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 is one of my favorite passages. It is a passage that speaks grace to me. But he actually gave a whole new 
meaning and significance. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You could probably, many of you could probably recite that with me. But I have never heard before reading this that a rabbi, the way that they talked about their teaching was that a rabbi had a yoke. Not an actual yoke, but uh, uh, the rabbi's teaching, a yoke is of course the the, uh, equipment that goes on an ox's shoulders for plowing the field. That doesn't sound like rest. And I've always thought that was kind of weird. And I would, I've preached on it many times, but I, I focus on the gentleness of Jesus, the kindness, the, wel- the welcoming nature of Jesus. Not wrong. But I never really actually knew what to do with the yoke. But I, I just appreciate so much the way Comer talks about this. Um, I've never heard it talked about like this as, a, as his teaching. So Jesus is saying, if you're tired, I've got a better way for you. I'm not going to give you a vacation. I'm going to give you a better, uh, I'm going to give you the equipment to live your life better. And because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Which is to say, not to say life is easy, but my yoke helps you get through life in a much easier way. It is not getting around the difficulties of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I have Kind of skipped over, like, I've never really focused on how Jesus is the way means walk like Jesus. Now, I know we should walk like Jesus, but I um, have never really connected the dots that this, it helps us to um, have the, the peace that Jesus has. Um, I want Jesus to solve my problems. And I, so I focus a lot more on truth in life. But Jesus is saying, live like me. Which is to say, if Jesus were in your life and in your roles, what would he do? Would he say yes to that committee? Would he say no to that committee? Would he bark at the employee who showed up late? Would he bark at his wife if he had one? Will he veg out for a Netflix or hang out with his kids and grandkids if he had them? Would he get enough sleep? Would he make relationships a priority? Now, how do you know what he would do? How can, how can you know what he would do if he were you? How could you know that? How do you get to know what anybody would do? You have to spend time with them and get to know them. And let them get to know you. And in order, you have to do it consistently and regularly. If you're out of shape and you start working out, there won't be a day where you finally say, I've crossed the line, now I'm in shape. Right? 
you just suddenly one day wake up and realize, I'm in a lot better shape than I was before. And the same thing really works with Jesus. If you go and get up, wake up at 5.30 in the morning and spend an hour praying and reading the Bible tomorrow, you'll be better for it, but you won't be a lot different. But if you take 10 minutes every day for the next 10 years, you will be a lot different. You will be a lot different regularly, consistently. So to get to know Jesus, you have to make space in your heart. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. So next week, I want you to read through page 142 if you have the red book. Now, if you're uh, following along on a Kindle or you're listening to it, it's the end of silence and solitude. So we're gonna, there's a, the black pages, it's a, like a little intermission, and it says, wait, what are, we, what are the spiritual disciplines again? See, he's quirky. So, yeah, so that's on page uh, 99, start on page 99. It's actually a big print, it's easy to read. We'll go through page 142. Intermission and silence and solitude. But here's your other homework. I want you to identify, if it were me, it'd be better to write down, at least one thing you can do to cut down on distractions in your life. Maybe it's push notifications. Uh, Maybe it's limiting TV to a certain number of time. Maybe it's um, setting specific times of day to check your texts. Uh, Maybe it is deleting Candy Crush. So I want you you to identify at least one thing you can do. And I would like you to spend at least five minutes, three times between now and next Wednesday, meditating. Which is to say, not just reading as much as you can, but actually reading maybe as little as you can in the Bible. Just read a verse. I don't care what one. Read Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. And just sit for five minutes and be quiet. And think about the easy yoke. Or think about being still and knowing that he's God. Or think about whatever it is the verse says. Yeah. If, you can, if you're not doing something like that, right? If you're already doing it seven times a week, don't reduce it. <laughs> Keep doing that. But just, if you're not doing it, see if you can do three times. For five minutes. Just being quiet. And still. And come back next week because you already told me you were going to. And you told the person next to you, I'll, I'll, I'll be here. So you're committed. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, in your great mercy, uh, we still have 90 seconds. So I just ask, Lord, that you would uh, give us grace. Help us not to feel guilty, but to feel encouraged. Uh, to feel emboldened. Feel confident that you're worth whatever sacrifice we take to get to know you. Um, Give us discipline. Give us accountability. Give us wisdom. Give us uh, love. Help us to slow down uh, to love. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.